This is an RNZ podcast. First word that comes to mind is shagging, bonk, rooting, <laughs> procreation, the ins and outs of sex. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh. Bang. bang. What? Bang. <laughs> it's called bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, bang. <laughs> Kia ora, welcome to Bang. I'm Melody Thomas, and we're officially halfway through season two of the podcast. Only three to go after this, and then our live episode in Auckland. We're recording it at the Basement Theatre on July 10th and there are only a small handful of tickets left, so few that by the time you hear this they may actually be gone. So check out basementtheatre.co.nz just in case. Now long-time listeners of Bang know that one of the overriding themes of the podcast is difficult conversations. Some of those have been personal ones that I've recorded and shared with you, like talking with my mum about her sex life or calling up a childhood friend to talk about getting nudie in my treehouse. Others have been from the brave people who have come to talk with us on the podcast about their own personal stories. And from the sounds of things, a lot of you are having difficult conversations too. One of the best parts of doing this podcast has been the emails, texts and messages from you about the things that you've started talking about with your friends and loved ones. Now the theme of this episode is masculinity, but it could just as easily be difficult conversations because a lot of the things that are going to come up are things I've been avoiding. The themes in today's episode are going to get a little heavy. We're going to bring up things like sexual assault, rape and suicide. Do take care in listening. There's also some colourful language throughout. Now before we dive in, can we stop the music? Yes, I love that song, but it doesn't really suit what we're about to talk about. Thank you. So, I'm a feminist. And for those who think that equates to man-hating, let it be stated on the record that I love men. Some of the best people that I know are men. I'm married to one. One of my kids is likely to one day become one. But I also spend a lot of time on the internet, where kindness and empathy can be hard to find at the best of times across all genders, but where men especially seem to make up a good proportion of the bad guys. Because of the people I follow, when a headline pops up on my newsfeed featuring the word masculinity, it's usually preceded by the word toxic. You know the kinds of things I'm talking about. Thousands of women are using two words on social media to identify themselves as survivors of sexual harassment and assault today. It's hashtag MeToo. Parkland, Florida shooting isn't just being blamed on guns, but also on men. He also said, you know, the best thing about a feminist They don't get any action, so when you rape them, it feels 100 times tighter. India Clark is actually the 10th transgender person to actually be murdered, the ninth of color, just in the U.S. this year. He wrote, the incel rebellion has already begun. Most recent studies show as many as one in five college women is the victim of rape or attempted rape. The mother of one of the Roastbusters ringleaders says he's arrogant, stupid and a bit of a skite, but he's not a rapist. Something called toxic masculinity. It's not in the DSM. It's a new made up term, but it's everywhere all of a sudden. Okay, so people like Tucker Carlson, who we just heard, and Canadian psychology professor and cultural warrior Jordan B. Peterson, plus a bunch of others, think that masculinity is under attack. That efforts to deconstruct gender norms, you know, like encouraging boys to play with dolls and girls to pick up trucks, 
isn't helping, but hurting men. Modern men are lost because they don't know how to be men anymore. What is going on? Are men being exposed for the villains they've always been, or are they being cast in that role before they even get a chance to show us otherwise? What is masculinity? Is it changing? If it is, what new shape is it taking? And why is that so scary for people? And I guess the final thing is, on the internet, we're shouting across a void that seems to be getting bigger and bigger, and so the chances of hearing each other gets less and less. How do we fix this? Okay, it's a lot to get through. Let's begin. I'm sitting in my car in the car park of Top Pub, as it's called by locals in Coromandel, which is apparently, I've been told, the pub where the men go. This is where the pig hunters and the fishers gather, and it's mm, five o'clock on a Friday. I will admit that I put on some lipstick so that I would appear more coquettishly feminine or some ridiculous thing like that so that these men would be more open with me. So we'll see how they respond to that. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Excuse me, guys. I've been sent to your table. Oh, hello. I'm a journalist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, go for it. I'm from Wellington. Are we recording right now? Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about manhood. In regards to? Just generally, like what you were taught about what it is to be a man. We're all muscle farmers. You might say we were a bit salty. Are any of you, are any of you pig hunters? Because I've heard there's some pig hunters around too. All of us. Yep. yep. We're all hunters. Have you heard oh, yeah. of the man card? We the are what? The man card. That no. Well, so I've heard there's a man card. Like, you can yeah. be a male, but you're not a man. Okay, so how do you earn your man card? You be a man by throwing a chainsaw around like it's a yo-yo. Driving the reddest like it's your... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for censoring yourself. Cutting up an animal. <laughs> what was that? Cutting up an animal? Yeah, yeah. Like, if, if you want to eat meat, you got to kill it. You could be like the metrosexuals of Auckland and just... You may be a male, but you don't have the abilities to do anything masculine. From what I hear, though, a lot of the women around here can do the things you're saying. They're masculine, aren't they? <laughs> That's called a GB. Yeah, where, where, where's the feminine ones? What's a GB? A uh, good... Okay, yeah. So who taught you about the man card and what it, what it takes? Uh, my father. No. Yep. Yep. He didn't teach me about it. He just ingrained it in me to be a man. What did your dad do? Butchered sheep, shared sheep, dosed cattle. So everything you're describing... Reverse a trailer. But So everything you're describing is like a physical task, though. What about in terms of, like, characteristics? Being able to be neutral in every situation possible. That sounds depressing to me. That's not masculine. It's like a robot. How does neutral make you masculine? You can resolve any situation just by being neutral. Was your dad neutral? Oh, my dad was extremely neutral. Were there ever times when you wanted him not to be neutral? To, like, listen to you or respond to you or feel with you or any of those metro things? Probably when I was an aggressive youngster, but not anymore. Being a man means putting a roof over your head, getting food in your stomach, and just carrying on. Just surviving. For us here. 
like we're not gonna um, be scholars or millionaire owning a mansion and like to own a house would be awesome the point of life is to reproduce and provide that's it all, all I got told was treat ladies with respect and your mother's uh, the king and queen <laughs> end of story so um, you know as a man your your job is to provide and make sure you Everyone's happy, really. If my kids and my family were happy, then that's delivering the goods, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. It sounds really honourable. It also sounds like a lot of pressure. Of course, it's massive pressure. <laughs> so what did your mum teach you about being a good man? What did you learn from her? Or about being a man? Just, like, harden up, do your bit, and don't, don't fucking mind. cry. Don't cry, yeah. That's, yep. that's hard out. Mm. So there's this idea that nurturing is like a feminine trait, but your dad was maybe more nurturing. Yeah, I guess so, yeah, and yeah. it was sort of contradictory of your terms of Hard. masculinity yeah. and femininity. My dad was still obviously a strong man, and, and still is, and, but he was more caring, and my mum was a woman, feminine, but mm. she was a hard bitch. One of your mum's rules was don't cry. Do you enforce that with your... Do you have sons? Do you enforce that with them or him? Oh, nah. Fuck no. They're, they're allowed to cry. Fucking oath. Of course, everyone's allowed to cry, bro. Fuck, you wouldn't be human if you didn't cry. I found this whole man card thing fascinating. And it was amazing to watch. Every time they opened up, these guys would say something gross or offensive or funny immediately afterwards to cover up the fact that they'd just been vulnerable. And they spent a bit of time calling each other pussies or taking the piss out of the cars that they drove. But I also got the feeling that in many ways, these guys were totally there for each other. Have a listen to this. I don't think I'm a good man. Um, I think you're a good man. He's a great man. He's a fucking good man. Loyal, hardworking, family man, good man. Genuine good man. So that guy, the one you just heard reassuring his mate that he's a good man, he was in the middle of a divorce. And he told me at some point when some of the other dudes were off getting a beer that he was struggling with it and that there was no way he could really reach out to a mate to ask for help. Which is weird because we've just heard one of these blokes being reassured by his mates. The feeling I got at that table was that it's okay to get help, but you can't ask for it. This guy, the one going through the divorce, told me that he did cry. After all, he's only human, but that he did it alone. And that's heartbreaking. But it also spins out wider. If a person, maybe not this guy, but if a person can't reach out for help when they're going through tough stuff, how does that impact their relationships? The demand for mental health services is at an all-time high. It is the deadly elephant in the room. More and more men are dying by suicide, especially middle-aged men. New Zealand has the worst family violence record in the developed world. James Nikise is a comedian, writer, occasional commentator, and he's also done work with the Sexual Abuse Prevention Network, where he goes into schools and leads workshops about things like consent and healthy relationships. So I started our conversation by asking him to take us back to his own all-boys, Catholic, majority Polynesian high school. 
cliche to say, that was a bro school. We, yeah. uh, we were big on rugby, big on rugby league, because um, I was at high school in the Hub Valley, and no drama department, and, and always the threat of gangs circling around, because the hut hadn't been gentrified properly at that point. You know, Petoni was still drive-by. Um, what? So you don't know about the drive-bys in Petoni? The Mongol mob was down there. There's a bit of black power as well. Uh, and then the King Cobras, who are an Auckland gang, were trying to push down. They're a Samoan gang, uh, and they were um, pushing south down as well. Uh, and because of the adult violence, there was a lot of, you know, dumb young guys trying to prove themselves. James is straight, and has always known he was. He was super into sports, he was really good at them, but in heaps of ways he wasn't actually like the boys around him. I had a slightly British accent, uh, was scrawny, um, but tall. Uh, I was into fashion. I was into keeping a tidy house because I'd been raised primarily by a solo British mother mm. who was a film geek, so I'd grown up. like No one in the hut had seen Room with a View like, you know what I'm talking about? None of the boys could quote Casablanca and that. You know, so you like, had to defend your heterosexuality to a degree? Like it wasn't aggressively under attack. Yeah. It was more looking back, I realised that in the 90s clique style of our friend groups, I filled the spot of the gay best friend before the gay best friend showed up. Without physical dominance on his side, James learned other ways to protect himself. He had a brain, he had a mouth, and in his words, if you can't be big and strong, be crazy. Yeah, it was like going, look, I'm not going to be aggressive, but if you come at me, you're, gonna, you're not leaving here with all your limbs. And that, that worked. Now, that messed me up when I got into my 20s uh, and, or, and late teens and, you know, went to university and became an artist. How? <laughs> You'd always tell when single uh, sex school guys are at university because we are looking at women like, not like objects, but like, like myths, like hobbits in the, in the elven kingdom. We're like looking, what are these? They're here. They're just walking around. Like, what's going on? And then there's like uh, kind of trying to be the man and, and talk stuff and that. Well, you're never the smartest person if you're at university. Yeah. So the thing that you had wasn't as... So you had to develop a yeah, new and thing? Yeah, I could, I could run my mouth, but now I'm going up against national debating champions. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they've got no fear of some street rat from lower hut. So tell me about, a bit more about your interactions with, because you're straight, so your interactions with women at university and how you had to, once you realised, I guess, <laughs> that that thing that you'd been doing wasn't going to work in this situation. Like, how Well, you... yes and no. I'm still a charming, good-looking, 20-year-old, mixed-race Pacific Island guy from the streets so I slept my way through my first year like on a mission mm. I always say a lot of my comedy in my 30s is like my way of apologizing for my 20s and I wasn't physically violent but I look back at some of the mental deconstruction I did and I can't tell you that's not violence like like if we're at a party and like a woman kicks off into a fight with me about something, then I go all in to dominate that conversation. You start to realize there's things you can do as a man at a party which are incredibly dominating. I remember throwing a glass of wine in a woman's face and then just walking away like it was no thing. 
And it wasn't because she'd wronged me. It's because she'd wronged a mate's girlfriend. I had no, I had no reason to be in that kind of thing. And Why was, were you? Because if you can't the be fight. the tough guy, be the crazy guy. You know that mm. mentality doesn't leave. You don't get to university and suddenly become enlightened. Mm. You know, you get to university and are just in a new dynamic with new pressures, and you go to what you know. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've partners from the past who I've, I've cheated on, and I've partners from the past who I was very verbally abusive to, and. I've cheered on friends doing such behaviour as well. So what do you do when you get to, say, 30 and you look back and you are in a place now where you where you have a bit more information or you're more settled in yourself and you look back and see things that are ugly or that hurt other people? A simple way would be reconciliation. But reconciliation is much more complicated than that. I always say this to um, guys when we're talking. It's like, are you trying to make other people feel better or are you trying to make yourself feel better by making other people feel better? Because mm. if, if the first thing is you, then that's actually, it's another form of masculinity. It's another form of, of making yourself the man. So maybe you can't get to redemption. But James finds some solace in helping teenagers to avoid the mistakes that he made as a younger man. I think also there's a thing when you get to your 30s where you begin to realise the cycle of society. So I see my nephews Mm. and my nieces beginning to make the same mistakes. And that's the thing, is that you go, okay, so what do we say to these guys? You know, without preaching, because no kid wants to be, I'm I'm a preacher's kid, no kid wants to have a a sermon at the age of 14. So what do you say to a 14-year-old boy who says, rape culture, I'm not going to go out and rape someone, what are you even talking about? I go, cool, what do you think you're talking about? You let them talk. You let them get it out of their system. Man, if there's one thing stand-up comedy has taught me, it's that a lot of young people, guys and girls, mainly guys, when you give them the opportunity to talk for the first time, are going to spew out the most vile things. And a lot of that is them going, ah, I can speak. Cool. I'm going to say this. And, you know, like a small child swearing for the first time. I'm going to say this taboo thing and this taboo thing. Whoa. Like adults on Twitter. I can say it. Yeah. Like <laughs> grown ass 40 year old political commentators on Twitter. Yeah. So. And you, then after that, what? Then you, you go back into it. what they've. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. And you go, why? Why do you think that? Yeah. Where does that come from? Yep. So a young kid, you know, says something horrific, you know. You're in a, if you're in a boy's school. Like she's wearing yeah. something slutty, she was asking for it. Then you got to deconstruct it. Yeah. And this is where my, my stand-up background comes in handy because one of the first rules I'll say to someone who's emceeing for the first time is if someone heckles you, get them to repeat it. Give your brain a beat to register and find something to say back. You did the same thing with teenagers. Classic one in case. Um, what if she's dressed for a sir? What do you mean she's dressed for it? What are you saying? You know she's dressed for it. No, man. I don't. I mean, come on, bro. Look, look how old I am. What do you What do you mean? You know, like in short, if she's got her short shorts, yeah, oh, short shorts. Oh, and a singlet too. Yeah, short man. So what if she's walking in short shorts and a singlet? Oh, short shorts and a singlet, bro. Interesting, interesting. You mean like uh, the first fifteen? What? No. Well, I don't mean the first fifteen. What? And the guy's like, oh, you got shamed out by the. But then you go, all right, all right, all right. You're gonna say she's dressed like it. 
You know, she just likes Juana. What does that mean? What do clothes mean? And what are you wearing? You know, what are you wearing, boys? And what message does that send? Yeah. Mm. I, I should say for listeners, that example is how I used to talk right. as a 14-year-old. I'm not impersonating some <laughs> like, young Māori kid. Okay, so what would you say to guys who feel like their role of the provider or, you know, of being dominant has been taken away and that they don't know what they're supposed to be anymore? I would say that dominance is a lie in society for people who aren't in the 1%. Now, that's not a socialist mentality. What I mean is if you're the most dominant guy on the pit floor, and I've worked on the pit floor, and there's a dude who in any other situation would be dominated by you, and they're your boss, they're the dominant one. So the idea of dominance is a delusion. That's where we run into trouble because we are trying to punch our way out of a situation where we actually need to stop punching. And I think that's very, very hard. And again, that's when you're trying to deconstruct a system which has said for eons, punch your way out. If you're stuck, man, punch your way out. That's what we're up against. So if you can't punch your way out well, you gotta, and you can't go to your mate. Yeah. Well, that's when people have to come to you. We can't be talking about like men have to evolve and then say, but also figure it out for yourself. Like that's insane because that hasn't worked. If we want to do this, then we've got to Nelson Mandela this stuff. We've got to lay down a pathway and be able, and that's hard. That's really hard. That's why it's got to be a societal answer. And we've got to find a way to have empathy and we've got to find a way to understand like, these people who end up in these radicalized groups. Like, why do they end up there? What has happened? There are some people who are not mentally well, but what about these other people? Mm. If, we, if we start to frame people as two-dimensional, you know, this guy, if he hadn't said the sentence to you, I, I cry but I cry alone, which will haunt me now for the rest of this week. Um, and well, it's fine. It should. It should. Because in 2018, in, in an age of digital communication, in an age of, of Netflix, in the age of all blacks with rainbow jerseys, which is amazing, we still have men who are feeling so isolated, they cry by themselves. So how do we help them? And we have to help them. Because they are vulnerable. James loves explaining things with a good metaphor. Here's a couple of his best. Let's look at it this way, all right? We're trying to upgrade from coal to renewable sources. And there is a whole industry built on coal. You cannot go in there and just say, we're done with coal, and then leave them to fend for themselves. Not if they are part of your society. You've got to go in there and say, coal is broken. To survive as a society, to thrive as a society, to move forward, we must do renewable. We are going to help you understand this. We're not going to force you because we know it's human nature to push back. We're going to provide education. 
we're going to provide pathways for you to be part of a society where you can be just as passionate about renewable as you were about coal. Mm. But coal is done because coal is killing us. That's how you've got to approach this masculinity. And you can't turn around and go, well, hard luck. That's the way the chips fall. Male tears. We need empathy for these people, even if they don't have empathy back. That's why I say you've got to Mandela this stuff. I know we've been talking about essentially toxic masculinity this whole time, Mm. kind of. But when you say the term toxic masculinity to men or to some men, there's something about the term that can cause an innate defensiveness. Uh, Is it the fact you're saying that the thing that they describe themselves as killing thing, will that be the toxic part? I think it's the toxic part of it, of the equation. Yeah. It it is taking the idea of, of what empowers men the idea of masculinity and it is saying that this is toxic and that is completely true the empowerment structure of men as it has been designed is flawed it's like it's got a virus all right it's like to put it in modern terms it's like a computer program which we were told as men was a program that was it was our windows it was our osx but it's got a massive virus in there which is completely corrupting our data, and it's doing it so slowly that we don't realize until the whole system crashes and then we're isolated by ourselves, crying in the dark with no way of communicating. That's what toxic masculinity is. It's the virus that's planted in the male system. Thank you, James. So that virus is everybody's problem. It's not just a conversation for feminists, and we can't just tell dudes to sort it out for themselves. Assuming we are able to come together, what do we do then? Zach Seidler has some ideas. Zach's a psychologist and researcher in his final year of his PhD in psychology, and he spends a lot of time looking at men's mental health. And he's from Australia. It's not as cold as it is uh, over there across the ditch, I'm guessing. I'm going to move past the slight weather burn you just delivered. Oh, I can do worse, don't worry. <laughs> Let's not jump straight into like Kiwi <laughs> no, we Aussie stuff. That. Let's start off at least we being kind to each other. Eyebrow. <laughs> so, Zach, what about men? Well, I think the most important thing that, that I'm finding as I dip into the sociological literature more so than the psychological literature is that masculinities is where we're heading, um, just like you know, femininity has moved towards femininities. um, And we've realised that there are so many ways of being a woman and everyone's embracing that and everyone's happy with that. We need to kind of start to shift towards that within the men's studies field as well and start to realise that there may be one traditional way of being a man that people are striving towards, but there are so many others in the periphery that are not gaining our attention and are not being heard for their depth and, and, and strength really as well. It feels like the man card idea, you know, men as stoic and strong and neutral, is strongest in rural areas like Coromandel. Zach thinks that, yes, men in cities can hold those ideas too, but there they are being broken down. But I think the problem is is that it's being broken down and there is a vacuum. It's just like Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, you know, we're, we're left with this, this barren wasteland devoid of definition and devoid of understanding where men are just traipsing around without any understanding of how they're supposed to enact their masculinity, how they're supposed to react with their masculinity, and no one is providing with them with a, a modus operandi in any way. So we're ending up with, you know, Jordan B. Petersons and all of these figures who come about and say, 
this is how you need to live your life. You know, make your bed, do this, stand up straight. And they go, okay, okay, okay. You've given me something to work the way with. that I can live mm. my life. Exactly. For those of us who love men, care for men, want to raise good men, like how do we fill in this, what this new masculinity or these new masculinities look like? We need to start to understand that the way that we are defining masculinity and describing it to our kids is through what not to do. And that's very unique because I don't think that that necessarily happens as much in women. I think to be a good man, everyone says, don't treat women like this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then everyone goes, what should I do? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be? You've told me all of these things that I can't do, but I have this desire to do them often as well. And so I have this internal tension, this conflict within me that is leading to me going, I have no idea what the hell is happening here. We need to say, this is what you should be doing. This is how things should go. And we need to be able to meet these guys where they're at and not just fight them. Because I know um, for a fact that the majority of them are doing their best and embracing the vulnerability in going, I don't want to live like this. I want to live differently. But if you contest them, every minute of every day, they will fight against you because mm -hmm. that is, you know, what is in their nature. And so it's and much what's more in of everybody's a, nature. You know, if someone's just telling you what you are is wrong and that's all you're ever hearing, then I'm not exactly, sure you're going to be that open exactly. to listening. <laughs> and that's, that's where we've got these incels and these horrible groups of men who are feeling, you know, it's like this white vulnerability, for instance, where they just go, I'm being targeted. I'm feeling like my voice is not heard. I'm not understood. So stuff that I'm coming at you rather than Let's hear you out for what you have to say. Even if you're trolling, let, let me, you know, attempt to understand your humanity for what it is more so than your masculinity. And then let's try, try to move past that and forge a, a meaning of, of life together rather than us versus them. That notion of us versus them is only going to separate us further. That's what's happened in the States and it's what's starting to happen all over. It, it, it's not only within masculinity. It's this gender debate, this gender fighting is really just... Uh, you know, Republican versus Democrat fight. You know, it's a, it's the same thing. It's a clashing of worldviews in a way. But there has to be an understanding. And I know that plenty of men are afraid of the F word, but feminism is, is something that needs to be packaged and sold in a way that is going to allow these guys a breath that is going to say, you are not our enemy. And let's try to realize that your benefit, your health, your relationships are really important to us because if you continue to destroy communities, no one's going to benefit from it. Remember the guy from the pub whose mum told him never to cry? At one point that guy asked if I was a feminist and I said I was. His response was basically, well, what about men? If someone said that to me on Twitter, do you know what would happen? At the least I'd ignore them, but probably I'd block them. That kind of conversation doesn't go anywhere there. But because we were face-to-face, -face, sharing a beer, we were forced to listen to each other. And for my part, I began to understand why it might be difficult to hear yourself described as privileged, whereas he told us, so much energy is just invested in surviving. I can hear people shouting at their radio or their phone now that that's not what privilege means, I know, but it's what he hears. Just like James Nikisa said about toxic masculinity, it's hard not to hear that phrase as an insult. When this guy said, what about men? 
I told him that my feminism is one that hopes to see everyone thrive, that I wasn't happy with his mate crying on his own, with horrific male suicide rates or boys doing badly at school, that he was part of my feminism too, and he said he'd never heard that before. When they're starting to feel antagonised and distanced, men really band together and they shut down the hatches, they close everything up and they will not listen to that information. And I think that in in a way, we're also not presenting it to them because we go, they don't want to listen. Mm. And so that's why this guy hasn't heard it before, because he's both not looking and he's also would find it probably difficult to find those sources in the media or in the in the things that he, he views. There are, you know, the way that I set up this whole episode was talking about how a lot of the time now when we hear about men, when we hear about masculinity, we're either hearing about toxic masculinity, which can Mm. feel for a lot of people like a direct attack on them, or we Mm. hear about how men are under attack. For the men who do feel like they're under attack, why is the, the reassessment of masculinity something that they could stand to benefit from? Mm. The problem is, is that when you are victimized and when you are angry and when you are aggressive and when you are feeling distant and isolated, it's very difficult to realize that that is the worst place to be in a way because you're so deeply entrenched in it that it feels natural in many ways. And it also feels like the best way forward is to just continue to dig in and fight that if you get halfway there, you kind of get socialized to go the whole way. Mm. And so I think that it's important to realize that right next to them is this ladder, which is not a ladder towards giving in. It's not a ladder towards handing in your guns. Or your man card, yeah. Your man card, exactly. Mm. It is a notion that if you get to the top, you will be given four more man cards and they will come with longer life expectancy, less pain, better relationships, greater education, a better understanding of the people and the world around you. And you will be able to see so much more of the world that you are purposefully closing your eyes to. And it's not even a conscious process for most of these guys. It is just a defense which goes, I am under attack and I need to therefore hold up rather than go up Mm. and go, can I join you and let's just stop fighting because it's exhausting and we are dying as a result of it rather than fighting this together. Yeah, and I guess if you're at the top of that hole, then throwing a throwing a rope down is the other thing, eh? Exactly. I think there has to be a, an understanding that this is not a one-way street here at all. So what have we learned? That some men will still aggressively defend the idea of a man card, even though it might literally be killing them. That the virus in the heart of a lot of boys and men is everybody's problem. That some men know they have to stop what they're doing, but they don't know what to do instead. And that the us versus them dynamic is only making things worse. Now, I know that asking women to do this work on behalf of men is like asking indigenous communities and people of colour to help white culture. There's no way that that's a reasonable request. Which is why, as James says, the answer has to be societal. 
The weight of this cannot fall on any one group's shoulders. But somehow it needs to be made clear to boys and men that breaking down a patriarchal system does not mean handing in your man card, but inheriting a whole bunch of man cards to pick and choose from. And if we can't even come to the table to at least discuss it, it's not just men that end up hurt. That's it for this episode. Don't forget we're hosting the Bang live show in Auckland on July 10th. This is the last time I'm going to talk to you about it because there's not many tickets left. If there are any, go to iticket.co.nz or the Basement Theatre website to find them. Don't forget every week after Bang goes to air on RNZ National, we're live in Nights with Brian Crump and we're trying to answer as many of your questions as possible. So email me at bang at radionz.co.nz or record a question using the RNZ Vox Pop app and tune in on Wednesday, June 20th at 9.30pm to get some answers. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know this line, wherever else you get your podcasts. And, of course, if you've got a minute, review and rate us. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, engineered by William Saunders, and the executive producer was Tim Watkin. Next time, we're answering a bunch of questions that people are either too afraid to ask or that get asked too much. I'll explain then. 